Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, January 6th, 2019. I'm your host, Maddie Love, in the studio today with Hertzy Hertz and Julie Love. We are joined today by one of, honestly, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Ted Meisner is the host of both the Secular Buddhist and Present Moment Mindfulness Practice and Science Podcasts. In addition to all of the podcasting, Ted is also the program director for the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare, and Society, all the way out in Massachusetts. This is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us at Atheist Talk, or find us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash Atheist Talk. Hertzie, Julie, Ted, thank you for joining me this morning, and I have to be honest, I don't feel like I've been in this studio all year. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good to see you, and glad to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation, Maddie. Appreciate it. It's nice to hear your voice again. I've missed you. Yeah, I'm like I'm not, I'm not like exaggerating. I really enjoyed. So, for the listeners, I met Ted at Minnesota Skeptics. It's a monthly meetup. Like it's a really cool group. People should come and hang out if you live if you're local. And then Ted moved away because apparently he wanted to follow this really awesome job or something. What? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Lame. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I guess I guess I want to get to the most uh, – really to the most obvious question uh, out of the way. This is Atheist Talk. And um, I mentioned that you're, you're a secular Buddhist, which is, you know, not atheism. At least not – let me rephrase that not generally associated with being an atheist. <laughs> can, yeah. you, can you talk a bit about like how you practice Buddhism and like why having you here as a guest isn't going to get me kicked off the radio station? Well, <laughs> well, for just to make it clear to everyone who's listening, uh, I was actually a member of Minnesota atheist for many years uh, while I was in the state and uh, really missed Jack Caravel and the rest of the, the group there. And I'm an atheist. Uh, in, I think, every sense that would fit a definition for the listeners in that I don't hold with supernatural beliefs uh, or deity beliefs. That's just, that's not how I roll. And uh, Buddhism itself has that stuff in it. And that's why I tend to put the qualifier on of secular Buddhism in the same way that we have secular humanism as a, a, another uh, secular way of looking at things in that the way I and many others, and actually I, I think because of the podcast and the works of people like Stephen Batchelor and others, secular Buddhism was not a thing. It was not a term that really existed or was in use when I started the podcast years ago. And now it is. There's so many people who say, oh, yeah, I'm a secular Buddhist. And I always ask them, what did you call yourself 10 years ago? Because it wasn't that. Uh, and what that means is that uh, secular Buddhism is not so much about how do we go through tremendous gyrations to make a spiritual text fit reality, um, but how does it uh, help inform what we see in the natural world. What is our really lived experience in day-to-day living? And with secular Buddhism and in, in mindfulness, uh, secular mindfulness programs like the kinds I teach at UMass, uh, it's really about how do we, how do we meet the world, the natural world, not the supernatural one. 
And what I find about, and then the question often comes up, then why Buddhism at all, is because what's articulated in there, if looked at with some clarity about what's being said, uh, applies to what people experience. That happens. That yeah, Ted. Happens. Ted, uh, we are we are on uh, the radio. Uh, <laughs> Stuff <laughs> happens. Yeah. <laughs> Difficulties arise in life, and that often happens because of uh, how we receive them. It's really, it's just stuff, and yeah, it sucks. And there are ways in which we can change how we relate to that, how we work with it, uh, how we work with ourselves that can lead to outcomes that are a little more positive for us and for others. So that's the nutshell in a very tall building elevator speech about secular Buddhism. It kind of... Correct me if I'm wrong, but like I, I kind of equate it to I tell people I'm I'm an atheist. That's how I view like whether or not I believe a deity or whatever exists. But mm-hmm. I'm a Satanist in that that's how I choose to live my life. Like these are the things that I'm that I ascribe to. These are the more of like along the beliefs that I have. Is that kind of the idea behind sec? Like you're a sec. The secular part is you don't believe in the spiritual part, but then the Buddhist part is these are the this is like my philosophy for living. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of different kinds of ways to be secular Buddhists. Uh, for some, it's about an antagonism towards uh, spiritual traditions, which is, is not how I do it. For some, as you're saying, it's a philosophical uh, way to be. And for others, and this is more like myself, is about the practice. Is about what do I do to work with the stuff in my environment? Uh, what's happening in my life right now? What's happening with me? How am I feeling right now? And how is that influencing what's going on? So there are a lot of different ways in which it can apply depending on what's going on. For discussions like this, yeah, the philosophical side is going to be a little more prevalent because that's what's going to be interesting in a conversation for us to have about it. So when when you talk about the practice, you're can you can you kind of, I guess can you elaborate a little bit on that? Like when you say you're the, the practicing the Buddhism part. Sure. So there uh, there's a couple different meanings with that. One is the formal contemplative practice, uh, usually meditation, and there are various kinds of that, and that's included in the kinds of things we do in, again, mindfulness programs like mindfulness-based stress reduction. So awareness of breathing, uh, a sitting meditation, or mindful movement. Those are what I would call formal practices. And then there are informal practices, which is the rest of your day. <laughs> what are you? How are you meeting what happens in life? So you're driving into work and someone cuts you off. And some feelings might arise about that. Some thoughts might arise about that. A natural gesture might be part of one's reflexive way of being. And never, (laughs) never. (laughs) And how to notice that. And I'm like, okay, so if I go with that reaction, uh, what am I practicing? Uh, What am I practicing and how does that help me? It doesn't. I get a little more antagonistic. And what might I do to pause that and make a different choice? What might be a response? And that response might be a little bit more understanding about, I, I, you know, I don't know what's going on with that person. I don't know if they're rushing off 
to uh, the hospital to deliver a baby or if they're late for a job interview. And gosh, it's not like I've ever been in a hurry myself. And that tends to change the experience. It's, you know, it's still going to happen one way or the other. That's the stuff that happens. It's how I work with it in ways that are going to be a little more uh, beneficial to myself and others. That's what I mean by the informal practice. So in a way, to me, it kind of sounds, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, the, the only word that's coming to mind is, or term is like self-centered, but I don't mean that in a negative context. Mm. Like right, right. you're focused on yourself and your reactions and not saying, hey, I need to, you're not letting somebody else take control of, of your, of your, how you're going to react. Is that, or at least trying right. not to. <laughs> right. As best you can, because we're human beings <laughs> and we're prone to uh, not always be at our best. And the only person in that, that one example of being cut off in traffic, I, I can't control what someone else does. I can, hopefully as best I can make some choice and make a little bit of spaciousness around how I am in that moment. And of course, when we're overwhelmed, that's not always the case. Um, this isn't an expectation that people be perfect. It is uh, a practice, <laughs> not a perfect, and it's not always easy. Uh, and and that's why after uh, nearly 30 years of formal and informal practice, of course, I'm still stumbling along <laughs> like many of us do. So I've only got a couple minutes left for the next break, but uh, can you kind of go into a little bit on the differences between like, so when you, when you refer to yourself as a secular Buddhist, when you run into say a Buddhist of a different, I don't know what the right term here is, denomination, sect, or just way of thinking about Buddhism. Like yeah, all I, of those are correct. <laughs> like how does secular Buddhism, like where, do, how could you compare and contrast those a little bit? Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll take the, the most clear example is for many Buddhists again, I, I want to make sure it's clearly understood. This is not a, a condemnation or a criticism. I don't live their lives. Uh, I have my own particular cultural context as a, a science nerd with a degree in biology and how I see the world. I can't judge someone else who was raised in a different cultural context about what's right for them. So with that as our, our starting point, um, there are Buddhists who have and not just an acceptance of a, say, a literal interpretation of rebirth, that when you or I or any of us, uh, this physical body ceases functioning, that there is a, a change and we are reborn based upon our volitional actions that from our karma, which is what we're building with our intentional actions, not our inadvertent ones, but our intentional ones, that results in the, the fruit, the phala in, in Pali, the language of Buddhism, or early Buddhism, that there's a cause and effect kind of thing here. For me, uh, I can see this very obviously in this lifetime. Uh, I can't see it in the next life. So someone else will have a different belief system around that. And uh, if there is some evidence for that, I'm happy to be convinced. But like we have with creationism, I just have a different standard of evidence than some others may have. All right. Well, we're going to catch this up and at the other side of the break. break. Please stay with us. And we'll return to Atheist Talk with Julie Hertzing's special guest, Ted Meisner. Mm -hmm. 
back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned into Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Maddie Love, in studio this week with Hertzie Hertz and Julie Love. We are joined via Skype by Ted Meisner, host of the Secular Buddhist Podcast and Present Moment Mindfulness Practice and Science Podcasts. Ted is also the program director for the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare, and Society. Atheist Talk is produced with funding from the Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina, Minnesota. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate your, their support of Atheist Talk. And if you'd like to advertise in this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. If you're listening to this and feeling a bit peckish, come join us today at 1030 over at Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina for our monthly brunch. Julie and I will be there. I don't think Hertzie's going to be there. because Wait, she... at brunch? Yeah, are you coming to brunch? Oh, yeah, I'm totally coming to brunch. Yes! first time I've done brunch. If I could, I'd be coming to brunch because, yep. boy, I miss cucumbers. Hearing the commercial made me <sighs> how really good it is. Not to be too much of a plug here, but cucumbers no, is no. awesome. No, you we can... will plug cucumbers. And they just remodeled, too. Yes, it looks oh, really? so nice. Yeah, it's nice. This food's it's, still delicious. And it's one of those where it's like they didn't – it's like like the setup is still pretty much the same, but they just mm-hmm. they just updated like the perfect amount. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. <gasps> if now you'd I'm like... hungry. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening and would like to get involved with some community activism alongside fellow atheists, this Thursday, January 10th, come to New Hope and spend your afternoon helping to pack food for those in need. If you're busy this Thursday, consider lending a hand, hand sand, <laughs> Saturday, January 19th to cook and dine with families at a local shelter for those without a home. Head over to the Minnesota Atheist page for all the details and to RSVP. These are both monthly meetups where we have an opportunity to help people in need and to demonstrate that although we don't believe in God, we do believe in love, compassion, and helping those in need. Speaking of love and compassion, if you want to get involved in the conversation with Ted this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us at Atheist Talk, or using our Facebooks. And Hertzie, you were getting my attention, but I ignored you. Yeah, no, it's fine. You were doing the thing. Um, no, I was going to say, and also we're going to start doing this now, but the Day of Reason is coming up in the first Thursday of May. Uh, if you have the ability to take some time to come join us at the Capitol, we'll probably be there around noon. So um, I don't have exactly what the schedule is for what we're going to be doing, but it's going to be awesome. What day is that again? That is the first Thursday in May. It is the Day of Reason. It does technically coincide with the Day of Prayer. Oh, fantastic. For a reason. <laughs> Can't imagine why. First Thursday in May, that is May 2nd. Yes. I know I usually save at least one of my PTO days for that because it's important. Will you come out to that, Ted? You know, I'm closer to Washington, (laughs) D.C. out here. Oh, if there's a – I was going to say there might be. I don't know. It's kind of a – each state does does what they can. So – so we had to cut you off in the break. We were I was asking you to kind of compare and contrast uh, secular Buddhism with other forms of Buddhism. And I realized in, during the break that that's kind of also like saying, can you compare Judaism with like Christianity and that like Buddhism, the label Buddhism <laughs> encompasses a pretty broad <laughs> definition of like different beliefs and like there's so many different kinds of Buddhism. It is. And that's one of the interesting things about your question is that um, – as a secular Buddhist, and those listening to this, I'm sure are familiar with being criticized for how you are, <laughs> for how you think, and how you how you meet the world, and what motivates you, what moves you deeply. And there's often this um, criticism that because we, as secular Buddhists, um, typically do not hold with 
claims that are not in clear and unambiguous evidence about the natural world. We do find that uh, many of the ideas of Buddhism apply to daily life for everyone as a human being, uh, that we don't need to use particular uh, phrases or terms that only apply if you're in the club of Buddhism. But rather, it's about how we are as people. Um, they're, <clears throat> so they'll, they won't accept us as Buddhists. I've been called a heretic <laughs> and, and many other things, even worse. Uh, and yet, when it comes to things like secular mindfulness programs, uh, then suddenly, oh, but you're teaching Buddhism. <laughs> it's one way or the other, guys, because those programs don't go into rebirth either, don't accept it, and have nothing to do with it. So which is it? And that's always where it kind of falls flat and the conversation ends is when I ask the question, okay, first, if you're going to criticize based on that, you need to establish which is the one true Buddhism that you're talking about? Is it Theravada? Is it Zen? Which Zen is it? Rinzai? Soto? Is it Tibetan? Is it something else? Which particular delineation? And that never comes to the fore. Uh, and so that's that's always going to be an ongoing criticism that is made in in ignorance. And that's and it's so one of the things that's entertaining for me about that is ignorance is to Buddhists um, one of the big bad things. <laughs> one of the problems in life is is ignorance. So how do we clarify that? And that's where a lot of differences for me, it's about learning as best I can. Um, not just what do I find in my experience, but because you and I and most of the listeners are aware, human perception is imperfect, is flawed. If you just looking at a, a, a an optical illusion, that's a brain interpretation. <laughs> this is we're wired to be inaccurate pattern-seeking creatures. So how can we say for certain that uh, the the experience we had on retreat where we were called a past life, it's never the janitor. It's always someone famous. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see a past life where, yeah, I was a nobody. and I, But that I no, yeah. yet to see that happen. Not that we have anything against, you know, people who, you know, are doing housekeeping or janitorial work. But yeah, yeah it's always like yeah. I, I, I was the top of the heap. I was the king or the queen. I actually, right. I actually met somebody who they said their past life was Lady Byron, Byron's wife, and how she died in a fire. So, of course, I did the, you know, bare minimum fact checking of a Google search and was like, uh -huh. I, I didn't I didn't tell this person about how how Lady Byron actually died because I was like, no. This is a coworker. There, there are there are lines I cannot cross. But I was like, "Yeah, she died of cancer." But it was a fiery kind of cancer. Yes, it's lightning burned from within. Well, I'll see that, and I'll I'll raise you a an individual that I spoke with many years ago who uh, was absolutely certain they were uh, JFK in a past life. Oh gosh! One particular problem I. I asked them about was that they were born uh, several years uh, before JFK passed away. And I'm like, how does that work exactly that you were already a, a child and almost a teenager 
before he died that you're him reborn. It's like, well, it gets complicated. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, apparently it does. And that's where the Akashic field is brought in. Like, oh, and how do we measure that? Well, you just have to know. And Okay, so how is this distinguishable from any claim one might make? And that's where the conversation ended. Uh, <laughs> bringing in scientific skepticism into a worldview just totally crushes the conversation. We yeah. actually have about 30 seconds. We're going to go into another break. When we come back, um, I actually want to spend a few minutes talking about um, mindfulness meditation because that is something that really intrigues me and I think is kind of a, a really positive thing that people could learn from. Uh, we'll return to our guest, Ted Meisner. After this short commercial break, please stay with us. I'm Maddie Love in studio with Hertzie Hertz and Julie Love. You're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Maddie Love in studio with Hertzie Hertz and Julie Love, and we are joined on Skype by Ted Meisner, host of the Secular Buddhist Podcast and Present Moment Mindfulness Practice and Science Podcasts. Ted is also the program director for the Center for Mindfulness and Medicine, Healthcare, and Society in Massachusetts. If you'd like to chat with us this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at Atheist Talk. Before we continue this conversation, a quick bit of housekeeping. I want to thank all of our dedicated volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners, who help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. This week, I'd like to thank donors Shirley and Steve. If you're able to help with a donation, please consider doing so at our radio fund page or our Patreon, where you can get extended interviews at patreon.com slash atheisttalk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. We couldn't do the show without you, and we do deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael David and is used with permission. Please note, all opinions are of the guests and hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the Minnesota Atheist organization. And now, back to the conversation with Hertzi, Julie, and special guest, Ted Meisner. So, Ted, going into the break, um, I had mentioned I kind of wanted to talk about um, mindfulness, mindfulness meditation, I guess, in, yeah. in particular. And, I mean, meditation, when I hear the term meditation, I frequently associate it with, like, quote, Eastern philosophy or beliefs. And as I still consider myself a scientific skeptic, and thanks to people like, say, Deepak Chopra, um, <laughs> I, I tend to, like, equate the you know the americanized media version of eastern philosophy um as being equivalent to like quack medicine and pseudoscience like you know quantum this and quantum that and stuff so with all of that in mind <laughs> like could you like define meditation for us and like what benefit a, a skeptical atheist such as myself could help to get from meditating yeah uh, that is a, a great question so one thing i want to point out is that uh, there are different ways in which uh, one can learn meditation. Meditation is not a cure-all. <laughs> it is not magic. And it's not always for everyone. It's not always well-timed. Uh, there are certain situations in which it can be quite harmful to people because of what you're doing. And so I want to make sure that that's clearly understood. I also uh, want to share that uh, I don't teach anything that's religious when I'm teaching mindfulness uh, in my programming at the Center for Mindfulness and what we do there. Uh, and MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, uh, to use that as an example, is the really the gold standard for the scientific study of what happens during contemplative practice and has been since the late 70s. Uh, I work at the place that John Kabat-Zinn, uh, many of your listeners, you guys might have heard of that name, 
uh, started the stress reduction program at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Uh, Joan was a molecular biologist, so he's another <laughs> another hard science nerd. And he was also finding that uh, this was very helpful to him uh, in how he was in, in dealing with stress, for example. And so he started this program. It's an eight-week program. Originally, it was 10 weeks, and then they combined uh, two of the weeks into a day-long retreat. And what they've been able to do is measure how participating in a program like this with a daily practice and various kinds of meditation like body scan or mindful movement or awareness of breathing affect not just our, our moods, not just self-report, but also neurologically what happens. There are measurable differences when one participates in this kind of program. In 2017 is now uh, not last year, but the year before, uh, I was co-author of a paper on minding the hype uh, about meditation, about mindfulness practice and what that means. And it was a talk about the actual state of the science of it, which is not, ah, this is a done deal and it does X, Y, Z, but here's where we are with it. There's some things we know, there's some good indications in others, and some poor science, as we would see in other areas. So I want folks to understand that there there is um, good science and not so good science on this, and how it can affect your life is, you know, your individual mileage may vary. What people tend to report is they, for example, may be sleeping better. They may be uh, less likely to be overwhelmed by things that have been overwhelming in the past. And I can speak to that from my own experience, uh, that there are measurable neurological changes in the brain uh, in areas that are associated with uh, the narrative and with emotion regulation. So there are a lot of potential salutary effects, and those are being explored, and they have been for several decades now. So... I have to admit, I'm kind of disappointed in your answer. I thought you were going to tell me that I could learn how to levitate. <laughs> Two inches off the ground in your first week, guaranteed. <laughs> Seriously, though, you did mention, you you mentioned that like meditation might be harmful for some people. Are there, like, is there like a, like, are there any diagnoses or conditions that somebody might have, like, you know, that they know they have going in to where they might be like, you know what, people with X, Y, or Z, don't even give this a try. Is that known or is it something you have to like start the meditation process and then go, well, I'm no, having it's... negative effects. <clears throat> no, it's not so much that if you have this condition, you must never meditate. It's that, uh, is this the right time for you to take on a practice? So for example, uh, let's say we're talking about mindfulness based cognitive therapy, MBCT, which unlike MBSR, which is for many therapeutic, but not a therapy, uh, MBCT is a therapy. Uh, it's a little bit different than MBSR, has a, a somewhat different focus. And the results are fairly good. Again, not rock solid. This is human behavior, which is complicated to study. Uh, it is very helpful in preventing relapses of major depressive episodes. So if someone suffers from depression, and major depressive episodes, and that has a particular definition in the literature. If you're ha if you're in the middle of one of those, that's not the time to do the practice. It's in between. It's when you're doing okay. Uh, 
So in responsible places, uh, it's not anyone is accepted for our programs on mindfulness. It's uh, their questionnaires. Is this the right time that help us determine is this the right time for one to engage in a, in a practice like this? Because it may not be. Uh, people who have uh, various conditions like depression, anxiety, or a history of trauma in their life, or substance abuse, or have just suffered uh, a significant and severe loss, this is where we're going to have a conversation about, is this the right time for you to take this program? Uh, do you have the support that you may need? And this is not a replacement for therapy. I'm very clear about that, that if someone is suffering from a condition like this, we really do encourage that they be in appropriate medical treatment for what they're going through. Um, where I, I do get very concerned is when there are retreats that are run by organizations that don't do any kind of check like that. Uh, I, I do see from uh, the work of some colleagues in other institutions that they're uh, they're dealing with people who have been harmed because they had as their first experience trying meditating a very intensive retreat while they had some conditions they may not have been as aware of themselves and when one starts a program like this you're practicing noticing well my first 10 minutes of meditating ever was really really hard because i'd never taken a look in and what was going on in my head was really very surprising and very overwhelming. So imagine you're dealing with some pain or trauma or other significant difficulty or loss. It's not the right time. So making sure that your well-being as a potential participant for a program, that has to be paramount. And that's determined through the guidance of someone who has been appropriately trained and knows that uh, your well-being is the most important, not whether someone gets in a program or not. Yeah, I'm thinking yes. of... So that was something I was going to ask you. Mindfulness is kind of being thrown around as a buzzword now. Yeah. I know our large employer offers well-being benefits as part of our work, and one of their things is online, you know, do this mindfulness <clears throat> exercise or all of this where you watch a webinar and there's no consideration given to what might actually be going on in a person's life. And I was just sitting here thinking about how awful and harmful that really could be without any sort of proper guidance, like a webinar can cure what ails you and what are you really going to get out of it when it's supposed right. to be something so much more. Right. We've, we've heard, you know, so one of our, our best friends and in some ways greatest enemies, <laughs> Ariana Huffington, said that you know, she's a great platform for mindfulness practices and yet at the same time has made the unambiguously not true statement that there are no side effects and it works for everybody and there are no risks. That's not so. For most people, yeah, this can be very helpful. Um, and for some, it may not be the right time. And I, the way I compare this is to... Um, would you engage in an intensive physical program without any monitoring whatsoever? Is it for everybody and there's no risk involved? Of course not. <laughs> it, it's not for someone who is in their 90s and has severe osteoporosis and a broken hip. Might not be the right time to take that, that exercise program. 
Likewise, if someone has some uh, physical challenges, not the right time. It doesn't mean you can't do something, but it might not be this uh, unmoderated, anything goes kind of program that is just out there as a recording. It just might not be helpful. So I encourage people to, uh, to really check out how are you doing and is this something that maybe there are some other things that you should check into first so that you're going to be okay and, and that this is going to be a benefit to you. So we just have uh, a couple minutes before the next break again. Um, you know, we've talked about mindfulness and meditation, but, you know, I realize at no point did we actually define what this mm. is. Do you want to, do you have time like in the next, sure. can you do it in a minute? Or yeah, is that I'll take a quick stab at it. Yeah, I'll take a quick stab at it. Again, it'll be a shorter building elevator speech. Um, so mindfulness, there are many definitions. And this is, in fact, one of the points we make in the paper is that there is not a single definition for it. Um, the way we look at it in programs like MBSR is that there are three aspects to it. <clears throat> it's paying attention in a particular way, intentionally on present moment experience uh, with non-judgment. And that doesn't mean we put our brain in a shelf. It doesn't mean non-discernment. It just means we're not quite as judgy and recriminating about what's happening in the moment. And we can talk a little bit more about that after the break. But those are the important aspects is it's intentional. You choose to do it. You can do it on your own at any time. Present moment experience focus. So what's happening now rather than past and future and as best we can in a non-judgmental way. Well, it's always good to not be judgy, right? I think I so. And, so and again, it doesn't mean we're not discerning. It doesn't mean we don't find things that are harmful or harmful. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll return to our guest, Ted Meisner, after this short commercial break. Please stay with us. I'm Maddie Love in studio with Hertz Arts and Julie Love. You're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned into Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Maddie Love, in studio with talking with Ted Meisner, host of the Secular Buddhist Podcast and program director for the Center for Mindfulness and Medicine, Healthcare, and Society. If you're curious about Minnesota Atheists, you can check out Minnesota Atheist website. We have previous episodes. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will tell you, tell you and give you links to the upcoming events. We always have a ton of activities going on around the Twin Cities and outlying suburbs. Come and discover all that Minnesota Atheists has to offer, and consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheists. Membership has some pretty darn good, darn good, but yeah, tripping over my tongue here. And <laughs> check them all out on the website. Okay, back to our conversation with Hertzy, Julie, and Ted. And so, Ted, we went left the break. You were you gave us a short, like a, a three-story tall ele- uh, building elevator pitch. It was still, still a slow elevator, though. Yeah. Okay, but, yeah. you know, it was like the maintenance elevator, like the one that's on hydraulics or whatever, instead of like, yeah. the, like the cables. It so, shakes you when you come to a floor. Yeah, Yeah. well, I was shaken. <laughs> shaken my core because it was such a good, good stirring. I'm still waiting for my levitation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, admittedly, I've tried meditation. And uh, as one who has so many things whizzing in their brain too often, it does not work for me. <laughs> It can be really, really tough, and, and the way you describe that stuff whizzing around in your brain is is exactly what my experience was the first time. It still is today. That does happen. And one of the, the often uh, 
misperceptions people have when they start a program is that I want to stop my thoughts. That's not, that's not really the objective here. It's not about stopping what's happening in the real world because your thoughts are really happening. It's about how we relate to them. And it, it's not to say that they may not slow down and become more manageable because that can happen too. Uh, but it is about the, the difficulty that arises when we, we see how busy our heads are and, and get bent out of shape about it. You know, like that can induce some anxiety and some stress and it's how we notice that and how we deal with it. So for anyone listening, uh, and maybe for some of us in the studio, <laughs> I'm thinking of myself. That's all. So, <laughs> Why did you look at me then? Well, because you told me I should I should meditate. Um, like, where would be a good place for like somebody? And, and I don't mean like physical location because I'm sure like in Mass, being right. out of Minnesota for so long, you're, you're not up to date on everything going on in Minnesota. But like, what right. would be a good what would be a good place for somebody to start? So there are a couple different resources that I have for people to try. Uh, live online. Uh, that's one of the things that I, I came to UMass Medical School, the Center for Mindfulness, to, to get going is their uh, their online programming. So one is uh, our Thursday afternoons. There is a live video online drop-in uh, that the Center for Mindfulness hosts. Uh, that is for uh, for. Minnesota time that would be at uh, starting at 11:10 to 11:50, so it's 40 minutes uh, and live online on Thursdays. It's totally free, just a drop in. Uh, and there's a discussion, there's some guided meditation, and some sharing uh, with the group. You can find out more about that on the website for the center, which is umassmed.edu/cf. M is in Center for Mindfulness. Uh, another opportunity is uh, every uh, twice a month, uh, the the second and fourth Sunday evenings of every month, uh, the Secular Buddhist Association has a live online drop-in, and so you can join that there too. Uh, and that's you can find out more about that on secularbuddhism.org. And if you, you go to that, you'll uh, look under um, meditation support practice circle. That's what we call that. Again, this is live online. It's totally free. Uh, that's a little more Buddhisty. So we try a few different things that we we don't do at the Center for Mindfulness, which is uh, not a Buddhist center. Uh, and we'll be providing those uh, links to you at the end of this show. Fantastic. Yeah, I, we'll put them all in the show notes so the listeners if you're driving, you don't have to like be crashing the car as you're trying to. <laughs> yeah, we that care would be bad. about the safety. And if you're listening to this in the podcast later on, like the links will still be there. Like, just don't worry. They don't go anywhere. No, they don't actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the problems that continues to this day to plague the atheism community is the misconception that it's just a bunch of old upper class white men, which I'm sitting in a studio with just three women, um, mm -hmm. obviously isn't <laughs> secretly. I'm an old white man. <laughs> you know what? I, and I'm an Apache attack shopper. Um, <laughs> that's a throwback to our frosty episode. Um, does secular Buddhism have the same problem with like the public misconceptions of, of diversity? You know, not, 
so much secular Buddhism uh, because we we do uh, do our very best to reach out to and support uh, diversity and equity uh, in what we do. Uh, we've we bring on people who are in decision making, actual <laughs> real director positions within the Secular Buddhist Association, for example. Um, but the criticism is one that is very valid. I'm, I'm on the Inclusion, Diversity and Equity Committee at the Center for Mindfulness, because one of the things that we've noted that John Kabat-Zinn even mentioned at uh, Mindfulness in America conference a couple of months ago in New York, uh, he was on stage with Rhonda McGee, who is one of our, our dear friends out in California, uh, talking about how this has to change, because it is uh, primarily a a male-dominated and typically a white male-dominated uh, environment. And the only way that's going to change is by the encouragement and the uh, as interviews with folks at uh, East Bay Meditation Center, uh, which, is, which is in California, and conversations with uh, Musha Makeda, Brenda Salgado, Spring Wisham, people out there, is you need to put people in positions of very real authority, uh, hopefully from the very beginning of your organization. But if you started on a path that was primarily uh, white male, changing that is important. And that means not having token positions, but very real positions of authority, not just responsibility, but responsibility and authority. So we see that changing, but it's uh, it's not happening as fast as we would like it to. All right. Well, I only have about a minute left on air with you, so I guess I'm not going to – I have a whole bunch more questions I would love to ask you, like, <laughs> but I can't ask them. I was going to say, he could do that in the Patreon. Do you want to stick around for a few minutes after this? Sure. That would be fine. Okay, cool. That's, that's actually really Are awesome. Are you going to teach us how to levitate in the Patreon? <laughs> I will teach you how to levitate, but your success or not is really dependent on you. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. But, but you know, in, know. in the See Patreon, did there? <laughs> in the Patreon, there will be levity. Does that count? Ah, uh, yes. But, you know, I, every <laughs> Monday I host our committee at the Center for Mindfulness. So is it like that? Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk. We'd love for you to join us again next Sunday, which should be another exciting episode. We look forward to seeing some of you at brunch uh, in about an hour. Yeah, that's when we'll be there. I'm proud to be on the air with the Minnesota Atheists, and I hope that you've enjoyed the show. This show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, and donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at mnatheist.org. This has been Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Minnesota.